welcome to On the Wet Coast, a podcast about sexuality, ethical non-monogamy of every variety. We talk polyamory and swinging, monogamish and open relationships, from dirty, dirty sex to heartbreak. We share our personal experiences and philosophy, observations and theories, what works for us, and where we fucked it right up. Join us on the Wet Coast. It's been a while since we've recorded a podcast. The world has been uh, pretty wild over the past year and a half, uh, but uh, yeah, things are beginning to to change up. So uh, here we are, and we thought, who better to uh, join us for our first podcast back than Dr. Liz Powell? Hi! Dr. Liz is an author, sex educator, keynote speaker, and regular media guest on a mission to help you have more meaningful, pleasurable relationships in life and work, as well as the bedroom. Dr. Liz is a licensed psychologist specializing in non-traditional relationships, and they are also polyamorous, non-binary, and practice ethical non-monogamy. Dr. Liz is the author of Building Open Relationships, Your Hands-On Guide to Swinging, Polyamory, and Beyond. Welcome, Dr. Liz. Hi, it's so good to talk to you two again. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. I think it's been about three years since we last had you on the show. Oh wow, yeah, long, long time. Long, long time, yeah. Um, yeah. So, how have your last three years been? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ups and downs, right? Ups and downs. Uh, the last year and a half has been rough, as it's been for many of us. Mm, interesting. Uh, you know, uh, during COVID, I uh, started COVID with a partner and I had to break up with them uh, at the end of April last year because uh, I think the stress of COVID was just something that they didn't have enough good tools to handle. And so it got really crappy in our relationship. Uh, and so I was single and living alone and in a city where I had a lot of people with whom I was friendly, but not super close friends. Mm. And so I spent a whole lot of time very, very, very alone. Uh, and that, you know, as someone who is super extroverted was really rough for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the whole stress of, uh, you know, stress in general is a crucible for relationships that that's for sure. And I think that, that this, this, especially in the beginning when, when we, we didn't know, what the scope of it was going to be and how long it was going to be. It was really an, an extra trial by fire for a lot of relationships. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people have been finding out that the relationships they were in worked well when they were seeing each other for a few hours at night and maybe like a little bit of time in the morning and then on weekends, but with everybody staying home from work to work from home and with everybody being under high amounts of stress and with people keeping kids home from school, I think it's just made so many relationships that work in those small bits of time, not functional in those larger bits of time. Uh, and I, I don't think that's a statement on like those relationships weren't good to start with. I think it's that there are very few people who started relationships that work well when you're around each other 24 seven with no escape. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And just, and no outlets for, anything um yeah so yeah conversely it seems like there's a sort of a common story of people uh sort of ending up in a a very close monogamous relationship out of necessity and then 
uh, you know, as things are starting to open up, as people are getting vaccinated, discovering that maybe their relationship was not what they thought it was when their partner is like, actually, I'm not really all that into this or so. Yeah. yeah a lot of, a lot of like monogamy of convenience. Well, and I think the thing about the pandemic framework as a time to start or deepen a relationship is that it's, going to be hard for you to know how that relationship will function, not in a pandemic, because pandemic constraints are so very strong that they make it hard for any of us to set the kinds of boundaries we might otherwise set or to express the kinds of desires or needs we might otherwise express. It's this very particular set of circumstances where we might make agreements and bargains we wouldn't otherwise but that we then would want to renegotiate when we come out. And I think a lot of people end up thinking they were on the same page of we've made this agreement and one person thinks this is the agreement we're going to have forever. And the other person thinks this was the pandemic agreement and things need to change. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's tough. And I think a lot of people didn't want to rock the boat during the pandemic if they didn't have to, because there's already plenty of stress. And so if your relationship is kind of functioning why have the fight now if it's not even a question? But I think that a lot of folks are now going to start facing these very difficult questions of what do we do now that we're in some ways, in some places coming out of this pandemic and having more options available to us. And that's a tough thing to negotiate. And it's a tough thing to navigate. Yeah. What, what do we want now that we actually have a choice? Right. And I think for a lot of people I've talked to, you know, in a way that makes perfect sense. We aren't the same people we were going into the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, going through a giant global trauma changes you. And it makes sense that it would change you. It would be weird if it didn't, <laughs> right? It would be weird if you were able to watch millions of people die globally and face the possibility of breathing around the wrong person being a deadly thing. If you were able to come out of that completely the same as you were before, like I would have a lot of questions <laughs> about what was happening there, about the level of denial required for that to be possible. Yeah, like what type of uh, brain damage sort of severed the, those, uh, you know, emotional centers in your in your, uh, in right. your brain so. And I think as a result, some of us may not know even what it is that we do want on the other side of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's complicated to know. You know, the person I was before the pandemic is not the person I am now. Am I going to want the same kind of things in dating and sex? Am I going to want the same kinds of things that used to make me happy? In the ways that I've changed, which of these changes are more permanent and which of them are transient? Which of them will I go back to the way I was before when I've processed through the trauma of this pandemic and which of them have informed and deeply affected who I am now? And I don't think any of us know those answers yet. I think we're all at a space now of kind of starting new on who am I? What do I want? What does sex look for me? What does dating look like for me in this new world, having been through this difficulty? You know, something I've said recently is I understand the Roaring Twenties so much more now <laughs> than I used to because yeah. the Roaring Twenties came on the heels of the Spanish flu pandemic. And so, yeah, after a huge global pandemic in the 19, late 19, late 1919s, 
you're going to want to go out and fuck a bunch of people and drink a bunch of alcohol and party because you're alive and you don't want to think about all of that crap. You don't want to think about all the people you lost. You don't want to think about all of the fear and the pain of that time. You want to just party and have fun and celebrate your life. And so I think for me, what I'm trying to figure out is what is a good middle way? I don't want to just party and do everything to like numb out what I've felt about it. I don't want to fall into a hole of the trauma and the sadness and isolation of this time. So like, what is the middle way here? What does it look like to be in my feelings and process them and to re-engage with the world again? Because I think some people have stayed in this space of denial around the pandemic and have treated it like nothing needs to change ever. And some of us are caught in the fear and the anxiety of the trauma and having difficulty making decisions that we may intellectually know are okay ones to make, but that still feel scary or bad or wrong. You know, I'm, I'm fully vaccinated. I got my second shot back in February because I'm a healthcare provider. I still haven't eaten indoors at a restaurant because I don't know, it just feels wrong. Even though based on the science, I know that my likelihood of getting COVID is very, very low, even though I know my likelihood of transmitting COVID to anyone else is very low. It just still feels wrong to me to do that. And so, like, how do we navigate these tough questions? Uh, I, I recently moved in with friends who usually throw play parties when it's not COVID time. And we've been talking about what if we threw a, a play party that's not like a big public one, but like people that we know and who are all vaccinated, how would we feel about that? And it still feels kind of scary, even though, again, based on the science, we're probably fine. It just, it feels off. And I think for me, what I'm trying to be mindful of is, am I letting that fear drive me in a way that is inaccurate? Am I doing this for the sake of like promoting better public health decisions in everybody? Or am I doing this because I have this outsized fear that I held onto for a year and a half almost that I'm having trouble letting go of? Yeah, and it, you know, it has been really strange being in Canada and watching our friends in the US, you know, get fully oh. vaccinated early in the year. And, you know, I see people posting about, you know, going to play parties and, you know, booking trips to desire and doing things. And I know that I also sit in, you know, my I'm a particularly risk averse person, but sitting here with you know, one vaccine under my belt, um, watching this happen, I just, I feel sick. Yeah, in <laughs> Canada, the sort of the high risk group are only now starting to get their second vaccines. So we're, yeah. we're quite a ways behind the US in vaccinating our population. Dude, just do Oh yeah, the everyone is. Yeah. The US managed to hoard a whole fuck ton of vaccines yeah. <laughs> and is treating it like the pandemic is over, period, because we've been able to get a bunch of vaccines. When even here in the States, our vaccination rates aren't high enough to actually be at a place where it's okay to be going back to no precautions. And the rest of the world isn't even close yeah. because we took them all. <laughs> well, and you had like domestic production and blah, blah, blah that, you know. A lot of places didn't. Um, it actually worked in our favor that the U.S. totally rejected AstraZeneca because they ended up yeah. sending it to us. Yeah. 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 A lot of places have ended up getting the AstraZeneca because the U.S. was like, eh, nah. Nah, we're good. Which is, you know. 
so many, so many things about this have been just fascinating displays of why late stage capitalism is terrible <laughs> yes. at public health. It's been, it was actually really interesting you describing, uh, you know, sort of, um, some of the steps that that uh, the folks that you know have been sort of getting back out there and and uh, discussing with your roommates the possibility of of having a play party and i kind of felt the anxiety response in my body right like i wasn't sort of yeah. consciously getting nervous but i noticed that like my heart was starting to pound and sort of my i felt a little bit of tightness in my chest um so i i think that that you know, that anxiety has probably gotten pretty hardwired for a lot of people. And it's, you know, how to, how to overcome that thing that you're, that you're not even conscious of. Yeah. And again, you know, shortly after I arrived here at the new place that I live, I live with two roommates now. Uh, and we had a movie night with my two roommates, the partner of one of my roommates, and then three people who we're all close friends with. And all of us were vaccinated but having that many people in the same space at one time indoors without masks was so scary. Yeah. Even though we're all vaccinated, have all been vaccinated, have all been taking a ton of precautions. It's this way in which our brain is wired to overperceive threats, particularly in the wake of a trauma, that makes it hard for us to make good decisions about what to do now. And I think it's the it's at the root of both the wildly irresponsible decisions some people are making and the overcautious decisions other people are making. Our brain is seeing risk everywhere. And so for some people, they're being like, fuck it, then nothing's risky. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. And other people are saying, no, everything is still completely dangerous and I must stay completely locked in still. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just hard to navigate around that piece of our brain that keeps seeing risks and figure out what really is a risk. Because at least down here in the States, we've gotten a ton of really contradictory information about what we can do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the reality of this pandemic starting under Trump and his utter lack of ability to govern and everybody he, he nominated completely unable to govern and every public agency being completely gutted and run into the ground was that the ability to trust in what the CDC tells us is really low because we got hugely conflicting messages for months and months. And so I think usually in these situations as a therapist, what I would recommend folks do is like, think about like logically, what are the risks and what are the possibilities of different choices? But I think a lot of us feel like we still don't have enough information to make those choices because access to information and the spread of information has been so scattershot. Yeah. And that it, it's such a a common experience like even here where we have a theoretically competent government we have had the same just constant mixed messaging um and it is really hard to know you know what is what is real what is right um you know what is safe what isn't safe because we we were given a lot of like you know, I guess the the information they had at the time kind of science, but, you know, them, you know, much like they did in the States, like telling you, you didn't need to wear masks in the beginning. And in fact, masks were worse and all of this stuff while you're sitting there going, that doesn't make sense. Like science doesn't, you know, support that. Um, and so it may, makes it hard to know when they're like, okay, yeah, you can do this. It's like, but can you though? Can you though? <laughs> I think there's there's right? there's also been sort of the establishment of almost a morality around yes. health measures, 
right? So, yeah. so I think that you know because um, it's it's felt like you know almost a moral stance to you know to to take uh, take all available precautions. Um, there, it feels immoral to start breaching those, uh, even though. They mm-hmm. they were a product of of necessity and and not you know any like you know uh, higher power sending tablets down from the mountain. Right, and I think I think what makes that really complicated, particularly for us in the states, is that like state by state measures about what you can and can't do has been so messy and bizarre and the way public health works is that sometimes the thing that you as an individual technically can do and be safe is a thing you still might not want to do because of how it affects the overall public health picture. So like, for instance, if we talk about HIV, I came of age during the time where HIV was still the huge, enormous bugaboo. Everybody died of it. You know, I was born in 82. So I was first having sex at the end of the nineties. Rent was a hugely popular musical about (laughs) everyone dying of AIDS. Right. Um, And as a result, when we learned in sex education about safer sex, it was not safer sex. It was there's safe sex and unsafe sex. And you always have safe sex because otherwise you're going to die of AIDS. And that's not a helpful public health message, right? That's a moral message. That's good people use condoms, bad people don't. And bad people get AIDS. And so if you get AIDS, it's your fault. And you should have used condoms and been a good person. And the the way that COVID is being handled very similarly is reflective of the way that ableism infuses all of our cultures. You know, ableism says that if you are sick or disabled, it's because there's something wrong with you morally. You know, if you were a good person, you wouldn't be disabled or sick. And as a result, <laughs> uh, if you get COVID, you're a bad person, you did bad things, right? Right, yeah. And on the flip side, if you're a good person, you do everything possible to prevent getting COVID forever and ever. And you guarantee, you tell yourself that, of course, the CDC recommendations are far too lax. Even if you're vaccinated, you should still take 100% of precautions. And it gets muddy because, you know, I still wear masks in public because I want to support everyone wearing masks. And because I haven't had like a cold or a sinus infection this whole time. And I usually get like three or four months of sinus infection per year. So I'm happy with that status. Like that's great. Um, And do I need to wear a mask around my vaccinated friends? And like, how do we negotiate mask wearing? So it's really similar in some ways to safer sex in terms of like, how do we talk to people about what precautions they are taking? How do we talk to people about what risks they feel comfortable taking? How do we figure out for ourselves what risks are good for our body? How do we figure out the ways in which risks that we agree to take might impact others, even if we don't intend it, and then make decisions given that? And this is where that, like, confusion about information, that lack of information makes it hard because with HIV, it's now pretty clear in terms of, like, how do we limit HIV? Easy peasy. Here's all the things we know. With COVID, if you're vaccinated... Well, there's a lot of evidence that you can't catch it or have enough of it in your system to transmit it, but that's not 100%. And that can be different if you have anything that suppresses your immune system. It can be, so it's just way more complicated. And I feel like so hard to make decisions. And that's why it's easy to fall on that morality of like, well, I'm going to be a good person and keep doing all of the things rather than be a bad person and eat inside. Yeah. And, and because I work in, in healthcare, um, you know, I'm masked, you know, the entire time I'm at work, you know, 
occasionally like pulling it down, take a sip of water, put it back up kind of. Um, and I was just, as you were discussing that, I was thinking of the screening forms that we send out to people the day before they come in for a visit that they have to fill out, um, asking a bunch of questions about, you know, their health and and sort of their their lifestyle choices and it just made me think that you know you could have these automated like dating screening forms before <laughs> you go out with someone and it's like you know are you following the protocols of the health profession you know the health officer and you know just like it, it just uh yeah well, yeah, because like, I don't want to date someone who doesn't think COVID is a big deal. You know, I, I road tripped my way across to this new house I live in. And my one of my roommates uh, was on the road trip with me, uh, Rachel Rose of Hedonish. Yes. And she wears masks a lot anyway, because she has fragrance allergies. And so wearing masks is not particularly new to her. But we were on a, a ghost tour in New Orleans, and this guy was flirting with us, and he was real cute, and we were feeling it until he said that he's probably not going to get vaccinated. It's not that big a deal. You know, he's been around a lot of people anyway, so if he was going to get it, he'd probably have gotten it already. He probably already even has ant antibodies. And we were both like, nope. Bye. <laughs> and, like, I've lost friendships because people's COVID protocols were not what I would do myself. And when I said, when they were like, well, why don't you want to hang out indoors? I was like, well, you know, I just, I think we have different risk levels about COVID and they like freaked out about it. And I was like, okay, well, never mind then. We don't have to hang out at all. And like with dating, it's this whole new thing of what were you doing during COVID? Like, were you being cautious? Were you not being cautious? Can I date someone who was just cavalier about the whole thing? Probably not. So like... <laughs> Now my screening questions include so many more things. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, in non-monogamy, we're so used to, you know, having a lot of conversations about about risk awareness. And and so I'm I'm hoping in theory it might make it easier when we go back to doing stuff. But, you know, it's well, hard to say. The, the analogy between the safer sex um, practice conversations that, you know, uh, that we often have, especially you know, uh, sex positive and education circles, uh, you know, the, the analogy between that and, and talking to people about their COVID risk for hanging out and stuff, uh, it's, it's really apt. And, and in, and one of the ways, uh, one of the common elements is the trust that you need to place in people that yeah. they are, mm -hmm. that they're telling the truth about their protocols. If they have been vaccinated, that they actually, you know, uh, have the 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 contact circle that they've described uh you know now one of the upsides is that when it comes to covid people seem to be really happy to tell you about the shit that they don't believe and aren't doing yes so you know uh it, it, i i feel like in general you can trust that uh that someone is mostly doing what they say but that said uh you know people do compromise people do you know uh you know slip up and and they might uh you know they, they might have contacts that they haven't told you about just like with with cheating just like with uh with safer sex practices well i think particularly with the morality overlay people are less likely to disclose something to you that they think you're going to judge them for mm. so if they know that you're someone who is very particular about covid risk they're more likely to minimize or you know, obfuscate to some degree what they have or haven't been doing 
because they're afraid of your moral judgment. And like the more invested they are in getting to see you, the more likely it is that that kind of choice will happen. And I think the same way that with safer sex, we have to accept that, you know, someone might not be giving us the full truth or might not know everything that we would want to know. That may be true with COVID as well. Like people may be telling us different things for a variety of different reasons. And we have to figure out which risks are worth taking for us. Mm -hmm. The end. (laughs) It's it's tough. It's really tough. Like, you know, I, I've been thinking about trying to date again because I don't have any partners and I just moved to a new town. And like, even the thought of it is exhausting because how do you even date now? Especially for someone like me, you know, I'm, I'm a mega sexual. That means that for me, it's really hard to know if I want to or can develop romantic feelings for someone until we've had sex. And in the era of COVID, that's a much bigger bar to cross than it was before. You know, it used to be I could go on a first date with someone. If dinner went pretty well, we could go back and fuck and I could decide if I want to see him again. But now that's a lot, there's a lot more negotiation that happens. And a lot of people want to like talk longer before they get together. And that's super valid. It just like really does not work for me. Texting with someone for weeks and weeks on end who I've never met in person, don't have that connection with. It's really hard for me to be into. It's hard for me to enjoy. It's hard for me to find rewarding. And I get why people want to do it. It just means that dating it, with those kind of folks isn't going to work well for me right now. And the kind of folks who are more likely to be willing to just like chat for a little bit and then come over and hook up probably are people who haven't been taking as many precautions who I don't want to hook up with for those reasons. So it's this like a really challenging space of how do I manage these competing needs of, I just can't maintain interest in someone without some kind of physical connection. And people who are more cautious about physical connection are more likely to be a COVID risk fit for me. Yeah. It's a terrible paradox. Yeah. And I've tried, like, you know, I started getting back on, on the apps and, you know, started a few conversations with people, but yeah, like, as you said, it's exhausting. And I, you know, it's even hard to know like what you even talk about, you know, because you know, over the last year and a half, you know, my life has, has really been COVID and my brother dying. So, um, yeah. How are you? Um, like it, it's been, (laughs) yeah, it's been really tough to find things to talk about. And, and yeah, I've, I've found that we'll, we'll start conversations and get a little ways and then, it just fizzles because I think they're probably in a similar state of just like, I don't even know where to go from here. Um, Yeah. I mean, what's a good, like, you know, I just moved and a lot of people ask me why I moved and I don't know how to answer that question because the truth is not one most people want to talk about. The truth is I moved because by the time January rolled around, I had been so isolated for so long with no end in sight that I got deeply, deeply depressed and came very close to killing myself. And when someone's just casually asking you, oh, why did you move across the country? They don't want to hear because I almost killed myself, right? (laughs) Like that's not, that tends to stop a conversation very quickly. Yeah, that's not first date material. That's not dating app, you know, topics. Yeah. And like, what's, what's the polished version of that to give, you know, that isn't a lie or that isn't, you know, betraying the reality of what I experienced. And so it, it's tough to start now because either we pretend 
that this whole year hasn't deeply affected us or we get into very deep, meaningful, tough conversations very quickly. And neither of those feel like great options. And it's, it's messy. It's just super messy as a time. And I, you know, in general, people are very bad at mess. Like we're very bad at being in spaces where we feel like we don't know what we're doing or where we feel like we're not doing a good job of things. And dating right now is just going to be that for so many of us. Cause even those of us who are generally fairly good at dating or fairly good at hooking up, we're different people now. And this is a different place and time and nothing makes the same sense anymore. Yeah, for sure. So what do we, so what's, like, uh, so what do we want to, what, what do we want to, um, you know, what do we want to share with people to help them, uh, you know, help, help them kind of get over some of the things that, that we're actually struggling with now? How do we start reconnecting? How do we, um, you know, uh, like, how, how do you, um, how do you have, you know, first date conversations or pre first date conversations without it, you know, ending up as, uh, as a bummer without you sort of, you know, how do you, um, how do you not talk about the most obvious thing to talk about, which is the shared experience that we've had for, for over a year, uh, you know, without it, that being what everything is about. I mean, I think for me, as with all things, it's a question of balance, right? I, I would feel weird building a relationship with someone where we didn't acknowledge how COVID has affected us in our lives. And I think it's about figuring out what ways you can talk about what you've experienced that feel for you like they are honest without being a huge bummer, right? Like, I don't have to share that I almost killed myself in January. I can say, you know, I was really, really isolated and it looked like there wasn't going to be a very quick end to that. And my friends were inviting me to come live with them and I could save a bunch of money and be around people who love me every day and get hugs every day. And so I decided to do it. Uh, or I could say, you know, I was in a really dark place and I just needed to go somewhere where I could be around people who love me. Like, what are the ways that you can frame this story of your experience that aren't diving into all of the hardest details, but that aren't about denying its reality or denying the extent to which it impacted you? Um, I think that that's a tough needle to thread, but I think it's an important one. And I think the flip side of that is that all of us finding ways to be more comfortable with first dates and early dates that are less bubbly and light than they might've been before. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, in the before times, it was really easy to have a bubbly and light first date in a lot of ways. And I, I think that if we're expecting that same kind of first date now, it's going to require a lot of uh, denial of what happened to us or a lot of, hiding of our truth because I don't think most people right now are in a super happy bubbly place just in general like we might be getting into better places but I don't think most of us are like this is an amazing day and I'm an amazing place in my life and so trying to pretend to be in that place isn't a good thing either no and so I think we need to find like a certain amount of grace to hold space for the people that we're dating or that we're starting to see also being in that space of struggle and also being in that place of it being hard for them and of them 
still finding their way out and still figuring out what it means to be out of this pandemic and when that even is going to be for them. Uh, And just accepting that for most of us, a first date is probably going to look different than it used to. A first date is going to be tinged with the trauma and the sadness we're all holding. You know, we're all holding mountains and mountains of grief for those who died, for those who got sick, for the things we lost in our personal lives, big and small. And that grief is present whether we acknowledge it or not. And I think finding ways to acknowledge it without making the grief the center of the date are important to find because I don't, I don't want to be on a date with someone who's pretending that they're not grieving either. And if I'm on a date with someone who just genuinely isn't grieving at all, I have so many questions <laughs> about how they could not be grieving right now, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, how do we find these balances? How do we find the space for all of the people that we see to be having their own struggle and for the grief that we're experiencing without it being everything we talk about, without it being everything in our lives. And I think this is where like good date planning can come in handy, like find something that's interesting to both of you to do or talk about on the date, even more so than in the before times, like go on a hike and like find flowers if you both like flowers or like do bird watching, something that is like very involved in some way so that you have that thing to talk about and you can acknowledge the grief as well, but it's not going to take over. Whereas like going out to dinner, the two of you sitting across the table from each other, it's going to be way easier for grief to take that over. Cause like you're still just across the table from each other at this restaurant faced with all the grief versus we're, we're walking, we're talking about the grief and now we're looking at the flowers and talking about the flowers. It provides like natural breaks and re redirections of the conversation. I think, I think that's the, uh, there's a lot of wisdom packed into to what you've had to say about that. What, something I want to touch on is, um, you know, you sort sort of mentioned uh, people might have the temptation to to just fake it, right? To uh, to pretend yeah. that uh, that it's that it's sunshine. Um, I think that for most of us, that would come at a terrible cost, right? If you're faking it, oh, it means yeah. that you're 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 suppressing. The feelings that you know you're uh, you're avoiding, and you know you're uh, you're just making a pretense, and uh, you know, and and the 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 energy that it costs you to uh, you know to hold that tension, to have that that stuff, uh, trying to keep it from from bubbling out, uh, I think is is it's going to it's going to make you very uh, very brittle, and it's gonna it's gonna really burn yeah. you out afterwards. Well, and it's going to, to some extent, create an expectation for the other person to pretend as well. Oh, boy. Yeah. Right? If someone is unwilling to be honest about what's going on for them emotionally, it's hard for me to be honest. It makes it seem like my honesty would not be welcome. Because part of that brittle facade is that if I speak my reality, it's going to crack it. And so I, it, I think it's tough. And I get where the desire to have that facade comes from I just don't think it behooves anybody to pretend that you're in a place you're not if you're genuinely doing pretty okay right now that's fine like there are some folks who 
genuinely are doing kind of okay, like COVID was rough for them and they've been able to handle it very well, or they have good supports that work well for them, like great if that's you. And you probably still have some kind of grief. You probably still have some kind of pain because I don't know who could go through this time and not have any. Yeah. I, I, you know, and the, the whole, um, you know, the idea of finding something to sort of, uh, create the focus around your interaction. I think, I I think that's really smart because, you're just you're just naturally going to talk about the thing you're doing you know maybe you know in vancouver a fun date activity is to go and throw axes at academy duelo yeah um you know there's there you know there's a lot of you know fun weird things that you can do that it, it's it's not just going to create that sort of um you know uh emotional vacuum uh, between you that has to you know that has to be filled you know and, and um i you know I, you know and and that um that in intensity that comes if you if you do go on a date and you do get get very emotional uh there are a lot of uh there are a lot of side effects that can come from that you may artificially create a very strong connection with that person because you've ended up mm-hmm. having this really vulnerable moment with them. And, uh, you know, and, and so you might, you might end up with, uh, with stronger feelings and, uh, that then you really, you really need to be developing that quickly. Um, you know, al- alternatively, if you are, uh, you know, if, if you tend to be, uh, avoidant, in intense emotional situations that you know that might be the end of it having having spilled your guts you're like well i can never talk to that person again they've they've (laughs) you know they've seen my guts right well and i think too you know if you're doing an a less activity directed date something you could do is like at the point of the date where like covid inevitably comes up or like how people have coped over the last year inevitably comes up you could each set a timer for a certain amount of time to talk about your experience and then when the timer goes off your time is done the other person talks for their timer and then you move on to another topic right so that it has a container of some kind and doesn't take over for these kinds of things that are really easy, that for a lot of us have been at the center point of our lives for a year plus, setting that kind of artificial container can make it feel easier and like prevent us from going so far deep into it that it's hard to come back out. Well, you also touched on something uh, when you were talking about your own experiences that, you know, you can be honest, but just kind of show a specific slice of that honesty. So like, mm-hmm. you know, there was, uh, it's a tough year, but you know, uh, I've, I've been, I've stayed connected with my closest friends or, you know, in your case, you know, uh, I was having a tough time. So I moved across, across, across the country so I could live in a house with some, some people that I really love. Um, you know, and, uh, you, you know, you, you don't need to, to go into the darkest corner, uh, to have, uh, you know, sort of an honest disclosure that helps to to feel like you're you're sharing part of your experience. Yeah, and I think you know if you're on the receiving end of one of those kind of like polished disclosures, right? Uh, and you want to know more, or you're open to hearing more, a helpful way to ask about that could be like, "Wow, it sounds like there was a lot going on for you. If you'd like to talk more about that, I'm happy to hear it. Uh, and if that's not something you want to get into right now, that's totally fine too." 
to give people the space to decide like how much disclosing they want to do and to what depth they want to go on any given conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting to, to really, you know, preface it and make it clear that sort of both the permission to talk and the permission not to talk so that the person doesn't feel pressured uh, to dive in. Um, and it was interesting talking about like going and doing other things than rather than sitting across from each other at a table. Um, I found myself just starting to feel the panic because I'm like, oh, fuck. Now I have to be interesting? Like, um, <laughs> because then it becomes the, I don't know, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? And like, someone has to come up with the clever, interesting date. And, the, and like, I'm just, I'm having just the spiral in my head, just being like, no, don't make me go on those kinds of dates. I can't, <laughs> I can't come up with that stuff. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 this is where, like, I think there's a set of like standard bank ideas that are great. Like any kind of hike, especially if you're like, I want to learn more about the local flora. So we're going to like go on a hike and try to identify plants, right? That's super straightforward. Everywhere has a park you can go to, to identify plants. You're going to be fine. Or, uh, most places have a place where you can go and like, they do a painting lesson while you eat food or something. That could be a fine one. Or like, like, what are the things in your town that are the cheesy date ideas? Because those are perfect for right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things you would normally be too cool to do. Yeah, if you were normally like, oh my god, that's so cheesy, that's perfect for this <laughs> moment in time. Now, um, I, I liked some of So, obviously we're all like pervs and sluts in this room. Um, but you know, we haven't had much opportunity to, to do that over the last year. Um, you know, you let's, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, you, you touched a little bit at the beginning of the, the, the show about your roommates starting to talk about having, you know, a play party, you know, what are some sort of ways that people can start to dip their toe back into that? I mean, I think starting with people who you really trust and who you know are vaccinated is a good place to start. Uh, and starting with maybe smaller numbers than you might have otherwise done is a good place to start. Uh, like, you know, my roommates used to throw big public parties with a cap of like 35 or 50 people. Mm -hmm. So we're talking instead about like a 10 or 12 person party with all people we know who are all fully vaccinated. Right. And going smaller, being more particular about your guest list, having conversations with folks about like their thoughts on COVID stuff and who they've been seeing uh, is really helpful. Um, here in the States, it's easier because so many people are already fully vaccinated. Whereas if you're somewhere else, you have to figure out for you, how do you feel about people who are half vaccinated? Does it depend on what they're doing for their precautions? What about people who uh, have not yet had their first vaccine. Is that a definite no for you? Does it depend on what their precautions have been? And figuring out like what your risk factors are that you're okay with. Um, this is a thing where I think those of us who were single or unpartnered or living alone have had a very different experience of COVID than people who are partnered and or cohabitating because there, in order for me to see anybody without a mask, I had to take risks. There was no one who I lived with. There was no one who was a significant partner of mine. And so I had to accept a certain degree of greater risk than anybody else in order to see someone, in order to have sex, because I just 
I didn't have an option that was already in a bubble. Mm -hmm. By the time my ex and I broke up, everyone had already formed their bubbles and there was no one who I was close enough to, to be like, please let me in your bubble because I had a lot of people with whom I was friendly, but not a lot of like close, close friends. And so I had to take more risk. And so for me, my view of risk now is very different than like the people I moved in with who are married and who have other partners that they've been seeing in very particular ways during the pandemic. They're both now fully vaccinated. All their partners are fully vaccinated, but they are still both far more risk averse than I am because I had to take more risks during the pandemic in order to see anybody. Um, And so I think that those of us who have been more isolated are probably going to feel more comfortable with more risks than those who have had more supports that they've been able to access and just being mindful of that. Like if, if you have particular standards for like who people have been seeing or like how they've been making those decisions, just be mindful of how that might impact the people who weren't partnered or who weren't cohabitating during this pandemic, who had to take different amounts of risk in order to get any kind of connection or touch. For sure. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And, and I think that also, um, you know, talking about it when, when you're when you're making plans with people and talking about their protocols and the risk, I think talking about sort of relevant choices. So what have been your choices in the last like four to six weeks, rather than like, what's every choice that you've made over the last (laughs) year and a half? Because, you know, that is, you know, that that extended thing, um, it might be a really unreasonable standard to apply to people who, you know, have have been getting mixed messages, who, you know, and um, health authorities, uh, you know, a couple months into the uh, to the pandemic, uh, they acknowledged, oh, wait, people are going to have sex and we need to figure out a way to sort of, you know, give them the best medical advice while acknowledging the fact that we can't just tell people not to fuck. Yeah. And not just that people are going to have sex, but people need to have sex. Yes. People need to have sex. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, again, as someone who was very isolated for the majority of this pandemic, it was really rough because the people who were taking COVID seriously weren't that willing to see me Yeah, because I was alone. I didn't have the ability to make the same kinds of choices that they did. And so if I was going to see folks, especially see folks like for sex, I kind of had to choose people who were a little bit less cautious in some ways because otherwise I would never see anybody. And so it it makes it really complicated. It makes it really difficult. And just being mindful of like, not just asking like what people have done, but maybe also asking them about their thought process. Like, how do you make decisions about COVID risk? Mm-hmm. What do you consider? Because like the actual decisions they've been making matter. And for me, the whys matter at least as much. Yeah. Like, were you taking these risks because you didn't have a lot of choices? Were you taking these risks because you don't care? That's a very different thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so much like, you know, STI discussions and that sort of thing, you know, give me, you know, tell me everything you've done through your entire sexual history is, <laughs> is very different than, you know, what have your exposures been in the last, like, you know, four to six weeks, you know, even four to six months. Um, because, those are very different kinds of things. 
Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and, and what, what informs those choices makes a big difference, you know, like, so, uh, in, um, you know, when, when it comes to STIs, like even just knowing whether somebody, uh, gets tested or not tells you so much. And, uh, you know, and, and so the, um, I, I, you know, Dr. Liz's, uh, suggestion, you know, like, yeah, like find out sort of what, what people's thoughts are about the, the, um, the protocols and, and, uh, you know, and the choices that they've made. Um, and, you know, and, and I, I think that it, there's, there's probably a, um, a perception that, uh, that having an orgy would be astonishingly risky, but it's probably about the same risk as having a potluck. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's the same risk yeah. as having a, you know, a, a watch party at your house. You know, it's it yeah. uh, as having an indoor birthday party, as having an indoor like... birthday party or or a or a wake. You know, there are so many things mm-hmm. that people have made exceptions for in the last year that were at least as risky as that. Yeah. And again, like. What are you doing to mitigate risk? How do we look, instead of completely eliminating risk, how do we look at being mindful of the risk we're taking and making decisions about which risks we agree to take and which risks we don't? And think about risk not as something to eliminate completely, but something to manage, something to weigh the costs and benefits for. Because some things are risky and they're worth doing. You know, I was a skydiver for a while. Skydiving is risky. It's less risky than people think, but it was worth it for that experience of being in the sky. So are the risks you're taking worth it? Do they make sense for you? Yeah. And I'm, you know, maybe at the orgy, you just don't make out with people and then I could just have, like, hot girl sit on my face. That seems like we're not, you know. <laughs> That's low risk. You know, the New York Health Advisory put together a recommendation basically saying everyone should just use glory holes for a while. Because <laughs> yes. if you have a wall between you, there's way less risk of COVID transmission. So put together a glory hole party, oh, you know. I really want to make out with people. The uh... And, like, if you're fully vaccinated, you can make out with people who are fully vaccinated and probably be fine. The other thing you know, is that, it, is that so like, uh, out, outdoor activities are very low risk. So have your orgy outdoors. If you have a high enough privacy fence, absolutely. <laughs> oh, but you might get mosquito bites in places. <laughs> it's always a risk. You just have to be willing to take it. Okay, now I'm just distracted thinking about hot girls sitting on my face. Um it's fair. It's a good distraction. <laughs> well, I think this probably is a good time to start wrapping up. And unless there's anything else that you, you feel like we absolutely uh, should talk about or uh, you want to get out there. No, I don't think so. Uh, I think that's most of it. Well, that is awesome. What about you, Flick? No, that's it. I'm done. Uh, So, Dr. Liz, uh, where can folks find you and find out more about you? My website is drlizpowell.com. That's drlizpowell.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at drlizpowell. 
Um, I also do a new project now with Kevin Patterson uh, of Poly Role Models. And so we have a website that is unfuckyourpolyamory.com. We have a six-week course on there that's available for purchase anytime. Name your own price about how to do non-monogamy better. Uh, and we are working on other projects in the future as well. Oh, that sounds really awesome. Thanks so much. Oh. Oh. I also... <laughs> I'm also working on a book with uh, Rachel Rose of Hedonish that is about ADHD, sex, and relationships. Uh, and we have a survey up for that that I will send you all the link for. Oh, that's fabulous. I was actually just about to say, but aren't you working on a book with Rachel Rose? <laughs> um, yes, I am. As, as two uh, ADHD folks uh, sitting in, well, not in the room with you, but uh, in the room across uh, the continent. Um yeah, I th think that sounds uh, super awesome. Well, you could ask that question now and then just edit it so it becomes very seamless. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think. Well, and like the cool thing about our book is that, you know, a lot of books about ADHD are very, they're very much from this framework of, oh, you poor neurotypical person having to deal with this ADHD or. ADHD or don't you see how much you're harming your neurotypical partner oh, Jesus. and like very shamey and weird about oh. like try to be more neurotypical yeah. and that's bullshit so we're not doing that <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah so it's gonna be very much about like we all have brains they just sometimes work differently and that is fine we just need to like understand the differences and then make decisions about what we can do and what we can't yeah and you know so much of of relationships in general and non-monogamy in particular is is related to talking about you know what we can and what we can't do and how we can work together to to make it work yeah well i'm really so, as as someone who uh lived with undiagnosed adhd for like 45 years uh, i'm really excited to read your book High five late diagnoses. I didn't get mine until like a year and a half, two years ago. Woohoo. So, woohoo. Well, I, I was like almost 48, so I feel like I win. You're winning? Yeah. <laughs> winning? Okay. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we all run in packs. And so like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the more people you, you know with ADHD, the more likely it is you have it. It is. It has been fascinating. Well, it it makes sense because though you have similar communication styles, so mm -hmm. yeah, our brains work similarly. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you again. Yes, absolutely. Cat's novel, Waking Up Polyamorous, will soon be available as an audiobook. Yay! Only took two years, but uh, <laughs> I'm getting there. <sighs> Until then, it's available on paperback and ebook. Get it today from your favorite online book retailer. Cat's sexy memoir, Yelling in Pasties, The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut, is available in audiobook, ebook, and paperback. Go to Amazon.com or visit OnTheWetCoast.com for links to other marketplaces. Be like other awesome listeners by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platforms. Just a few sentences make a huge difference in our visibility. And you can help us have more adventures to tell you about by contributing to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash OnTheWetCoast. And thank you so much to the Patreon supporters who, you know, make the show possible and who kept supporting us through the pandemic when we were not actually putting out podcasts. So thank you so much. 
follow us on Twitter at wetcoastcat, at seriousflick, at onthewetcoast. Email comments or questions to contact at onthewetcoast.com and go to onthewetcoast.com for Cat's blog, toy reviews, and more. It's over! Boop boop! <laughs>